0: Love it. Well, good morning. Thank you for all the warm birthday wishes. I, mean, I feel like we all just collectively discovered something right there, right? That's uh, We should be doing EDM all the time. I did not know. I did not know we had that in our range to be able to do, EDM like that. Bishop, that little, uh, that little like lick you had going on. Yeah, that was. That was. I, I am so limited in music. That's almost exclusively what I listen to. I listen to EDM when I'm, working out. I listen to EDM when I'm doing sermon prep. I listen to EDM when I'm relaxing, I listen to EDM when I'm praying, I'm a very one, 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 uh, one mode in music, it's not very balanced, but I did have a friend who helped me understand it once, she said, the reason you love EDM so much is because the music moves at the same speed as your brain. <laughs> that, that Yeah, it's, I only got one mode in my brain too, so I think, I think that helped make sense, so yeah, that actually really was me, so thank you. Thankful for y'all, that was quite the rainstorm today. I'm grateful for you online, but I'm really grateful for all you who got here in person. I, uh, m- I feel like Morgan and Laura deserve extra credit for coming all the way from Aurora in that range, driving through the flood in 290, and of course, to have somebody visit you from D.C. for your birthday, that's like no jokes. And Michelle, thank you for making this part of your Sunday. I'm, uh, I'm glad to be here on my, on my birthday Sunday. Um, a couple of people asked, like, man, that stinks that you have to preach on your birthday. <laughs> I was like, no, that's... Sincerely, not at all how I see it. I see it as, I want to be with my people on my birthday, and um, there's nowhere I'd rather be than serving in this kind of way, so I'm really glad to be here. Uh, We also have Communion Sunday, with this being our first Sunday of the month, and so we'll be making our way towards there. If you're participating virtually, please make sure to get the elements ready. Uh, I am going to lean heavily into my birthday for 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 this sermon, but we're also still going to stay in the same chapter. For those of you who are just jumping in with us, we have been following the lectionary through the book of Matthew, which follows the church calendar. So it's not chronologically Matthew, it's kind of following the church calendar. And so this is the third of three weeks on Matthew chapter 10, where Jesus sends out the 12 disciples. So I'm going to invite you to open up, however you, if you've got your physical Bibles or a device, uh, if you want to open up um, to Matthew chapter 10, we're going to read verses 1 through 8 again. So if you've got your Bibles, if you open them up, and then once you're ready, if you go ahead and stand, and we will read Scripture together. Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 8. This is the passage I'd like for us to kind of sit in as we think together, pray together, study together, reflect together, receive the gift of communion together this week. This is Matthew, one of the 12 disciples. One chapter earlier, Matthew tells his own conversion story of being called by Jesus, and now this is him sharing the sending out of Jesus to the 12 disciples. Here's how Matthew says this. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him, And Jesus gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. Like I was talking in third person there, like he doesn't know who that is. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. All of God's people said, Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, here's how I'd like to kind of intersect my own story with this passage. Uh, As Elder Key said, I don't, I try not to center myself too much in these things, but I guess if there's a time you're allowed to do a little bit, it's on your 50th birthday, right? Um, So, as has been already said today, and anybody who knows me, I really do, words mean a lot to me. I believe when Scripture says words have the power of life and death in them, I think you can really hurt people with words. I think you can really bless people with words, and so I love getting words of affirmation. Anybody who's ever tried to give me words of affirmation knows you can't be generic. You can't come generic with me. You can't be like you're cool. No, 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 no. I'm like cool how, right? Like you can't be like smart. I'm like smart how. Like I need to, I need to like, I need to really hear it. So I, I, I do appreciate those. So I've appreciated the words of affirmation I have already gotten um, yesterday and today, and so I want to. I want to share my two favorite that I got. Right, like one thing you're not supposed to do in a sermon is say. In fact, this is, this is what they teach you in seminary. That one of the first things they teach you is like, don't ever make yourself the hero of a story. All right. So if you're teaching on the fruit of the Spirit, don't ever say, let, "Let me show you how I so amazingly exhibit the fruit of the Spirit in my own life." You can't ever do that. Right. That's like that's against the rules. I'm going to kind of break that rule today. It's, it's not so much that I'm saying I'm doing this great, but these are things that were affirmed in me. My two favorites, just in the kind of gift of the spirit, also match the two things I would draw out from this text. And so there are two things that are important to me, two things that are important, I think, to this text. It's two things I would hope for for you that would be true of you. It's two things I want us to think about as we go to the Lord's table, all right? So I'm going to kind of tell them in the story of how they were affirmed in me, uh, but then kind of really how I think they're very central motifs for Matthew as he tells this. Sound all right? Um, the first one, I'll, let's say it in Matthew's words, and then I'll say how it was kind of said over me. Uh, Matthew wraps up this whole section. There's a whole chapter. Benjamin took a big chunk of it last week. But for this section here, uh, the kind of powerful summary that that captures the heart of everything he's trying to say is those last handful of words in verse 8. Um, when Matthew, again, Matthew chapter 9, tells his own personal story of transformation. Here, chapter 10, he's telling kind of at the larger level, the transformation story of the 12 apostles and what Jesus said to them. But these words are just so beautiful. Matthew says, um, Matthew captures Jesus saying this. Matthew's the only one of the disciples who captures these words. I think they're very important in Matthew. Matthew captures Jesus saying, freely you have received, freely give. I just want to let those like words sink in for us. Freely you have received, freely give. Uh, my favorite affirmation came from uh, or one of my favorite affirmations came from my mentor, Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil, and when we were talking, and she said, well, she said, Daniel, when I think of you, she said, I think more than any other person I know, you really live out this reality that you are God's beloved. Now, she's like, I know we all know it. All Day one, you kind of learned that, that God is love. God so loved the world that God sent his only son. She's like, but I think a lot of us still don't really actually believe it. We don't actually live as though we were loved by God. We don't live. She said, I know how much you love the baptism of Jesus. I know how deeply inside of you that goes, the words of God that say, you are my beloved son who I am pleased with, who I delight in. She said, but I, I, don't, think I, know, I don't think I know another person who like wakes up in the morning the first thing that comes to their mind is, I'm loved by God. Said, I don't think I know another person who the last thing that's on his mind when he goes to bed is that I'm loved by God. She said, you know, she, she does work with racial justice for a living. She said, in all my work with racial justice, I don't think I know another person whose starting point with racial justice is you are beloved, whose drive to take on all the evil of racism and injustice comes from the sense that the belovedness of God's beautiful children are at stake. She said, you wake up thinking about this. You go to bed thinking about this. She said, I want that more for myself. But I want to affirm that in you. Like, that's who you are. And I appreciated that, and I want that to be true. I think it needs to be much more true than, than that. But I was coming back as I was thinking of this text. You know, Each of the disciples, I think Mark and Luke do this as well. I think you especially see it in Matthew and John. For John, the fourth gospel writing of the Apostle John, uh, when you read John's account, he, he, he does something different than Matthew. When John writes in his account of Jesus, three different times, you probably know this, but I think it's an important fact, three different times in the epistle of John, John calls himself the one that was Jesus's beloved. Then an interesting way to like talk about yourself. I am the one who Jesus loves. I'm the one that is Jesus' beloved. And I honestly, in this shows, I think it's so hard for us to receive this. Growing up in church, when I would hear that, I would actually laugh at it. I would almost scoff at it, I'd be like, what an arrogant young guy to walk around saying, hey everybody, I'm the one that Jesus loves. But as I've gotten older and as I've realized how central this is and how hard it is for us to actually receive this message from God, I was, no, there's nothing arrogant about that, there's nothing flippant about that, there's nothing. Off about. In fact, I think it comes from a deeply mature place. John's not walking around saying, I'm more loved than everybody else. John's not saying, I'm loved at the expense of somebody else. I'm his favorite. That's not what John's saying. John's just saying, this is who I am at my core. I'm the one that Jesus loves. I'm the one that Jesus loves. When they're at the communion table, as we're going to be in just a moment, right? what an image in the book of John to have John, almost certainly a teenager at the time, to... Love Jesus so much and feel so loved by Jesus, right? This one of the most just arresting uh, 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 images in the New Testament. You remember what John does at the communion table, right? Lays his head on Jesus' shoulder, on Jesus' chest, right? Like knowing that things are coming to a climax and just wanting to physically lean into the belovedness that he had for Jesus but that he knew Jesus had for him. That's how John does it. I think this is how I think these words from Matthew this is, again, Matthew's the only one who attaches this to the sending, but I think Matthew wanted everybody to know this. Matthew wanted everybody to know that when Jesus sent out the disciples, yes, there was work to do, there was activity to participate in, there was, there was important work as the kingdom of God was coming that they were to participate in. But Matthew wanted everybody to know, that's not the starting point. The starting point is not, we go do work for God. The starting point is that there's this encounter there's this experience, there's this outpouring of the love of God on our lives. And I think the word, I mean, I, th- I could just—I could reflect on this all day long, and I have been reflecting on it so much, and I would just invite you to, right? It's, what an interesting way to talk about this overflowing, outpouring love of God. There's a lot of different ways to say that, right? But how Matthew says it, freely you have received. All right, now let's just, let's just spend a moment on there. What's the opposite of free? Like, so we know if something's free, that's one thing. So if something's not free, what, what's the opposite of that? Shout out, what are some of the ways you could say the opposite of free? Yeah, it costs, you have to earn it, you have to maybe achieve it, you have to perform for it, you have to work off a debt, like there's a lot of different ways to describe the opposite of free, right? But it is, this is, to me, one of the great mysteries, it's like so simple, and it's such a mystery of the Christian faith. This is the starting point of the Christian story that God says this incredible, life-transforming love I have for you is Free. You don't earn it, you don't achieve it, you don't perform for it, you don't work for it, you don't have to pay off a debt, it is free. And the image, I talked about this a couple weeks ago, it's got a connotation of like, of extravagant, right? Like it's like um, in Revelation 21, Jesus talks about the the, the, the lakes of living water, the wells of living water that we're to drink freely of, same kind of word. And yet, despite it being free, it is so hard for most of us to access, isn't it? Um, I don't think, and again, it's, I'm not trying to center myself, certainly there's a long way to go in me internalizing this more, but how many people would you actually describe at, that way that you would say, this person lives like they are God's beloved? I mean, it should be how we all live, right? That shouldn't be a unique experience. But how many, pe- how many Christians do you know that you would actually say that's how they live with a deep sense that they are God's beloved? Would you say that for yourself? Would you say that for yourself? I think if we're honest, a lot of us wouldn't actually. I mean, we, we maybe believe it up here, we want it to be true, but this is the, this is the journey. How, how, do you, <laughs> how do you internalize this thing that's actually totally free, that's totally extravagantly available, that's designed for you and that you are designed for, and yet that we have such a hard time actually accessing? And yet, this has got, I, I believe this to the very core of my being, that in the same way, I mean, only to, who knows how many months or years pass between chapter 9 and chapter 10 when Matthew starts becoming a follower of Jesus. But between chapter 9 and 10, Matthew is certain of this, that whatever I'm doing in the world with Jesus, it comes from this place of an extravagant experience of God's love, that he knows this is who God is, that God freely gives, abundantly gives, extravagantly gives of his love, and that whatever work we go and do in the world, the starting point is not that work. The starting point is not participation with God, as important as those things are. The starting point is not ministering to people as important as is. The starting point, if it's working right, the starting point and ending point, I would say. I mean, I think it again, I think it's this kind of loop type of thing. The starting point and ending point is this extravagant experience of God's love for us. So when I think of, you know, you get that question, allowing me turn 50, what have you learned after 50 years? What are you gonna do now? <laughs> I, like, I feel like it's such an, uh, uh, like, at risk of being such a trite answer, but like, here's my answer for the next 50 years. What do I want to do for the next 50 years? I want to go deeper into that sense of being God's beloved. I want to be more like John, who says, yep, yeah, that's me. I'm Jesus' beloved. That's who I am. Not in an arrogant way, not in a comparing kind of a way, not as a better than you kind of a way, but in a way that's sincerely rooted in who God is. This may be like, I don't know, slightly, it, I only hesitate because I, I don't talk to my parents anymore, but I somehow sometimes wonder if they'll ever listen to a podcast again, so I'm trying to be hesitant. <laughs> uh, but I'm thinking again of what's one of the things Revdoc said to me. She said, she said, I realize this is not just theological for you, though it is that. She said, you never really knew that from your birth parents. You never really knew what it meant to be loved. This sense of a God who says to God's daughters and sons, you are my beloved. She's like, that is the, that is the core of your healing journey, isn't it? I said, yeah, I actually think that is. I think that's the core of my healing journey. I, this is not flipping stuff to me. This is not stuff I've been playing around with. I think to have a, a deeper and deeper and deeper sense of God's love for you, not just something that you check a box in your mind, yes, God loves me. Now let's move. No, no, no. Right? The Apostle Paul in, chapter, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, the most famous passage on love, right? He says, I could have the mysteries to fathom all things. But if I do not know love, it doesn't matter. He right? says, I could have the faith to move mountains, but if I don't know love, it just doesn't matter. And right? To the justice crowd, he says, I can burn my body for the sake of those who are suffering. And if I don't know love, none of it matters. So, man, if, I, if I have a birthday wish for me, and if I had a birthday wish for you, and if I had something I want us to be thinking about when we come to the, receive the, the gift of communion, it's to think of Matthew's words, freely you have received. From that place now, freely give. So that is my prayer for y'all. That's my prayer for me. May we continue to people who are learning. And it's, not, it's, it's partly learning, cause you have to know who God is. But this is what I remember, you know, Jess Gentry, one of our beloved folks here, when she started going to therapy, she said, I often think about therapy being connected to the belovedness, that God wants us to know that we're loved, but then there's all these things that get in our way. And in therapy... <laughs> She's like, I feel like this is the best gift I can give somebody in therapy is help them move some of the stuff out of the way on their way to knowing that they're beloved. All right, this 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 is the journey for all of us. In Matthew's words, "Freely you have received, freely give." Amen. I almost feel like I could quit after that. It's a, that, that that that's a I. I actually am tempted to. I'm actually kind of feeling that because the the other one's going to take us in a whole in a whole other thing. So you're only going to hear you're only going to hear, hear one birthday buzzer. Because I, I think I want to just stay there. I know you hear me say you talk about this a lot, but I I, I just feel like we should stay there for a minute, um, uh, and and then and then we'll 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 take this we'll take this into the gift of communion with us. So I want to. I want us to think of it in the way that each of the apostles talks about it, and so. I'm now, I'm now shifting from sermon thinking to us starting to meditate together, right? In fact, is it, can, can, sometimes I feel like when eyes are closed, there's nothing magical about that, but I feel like sometimes when eyes are closed and heads are bowed, it can kind of put us in a better stance. So let's kind of like, if you, if you, if you can do it, let, 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 let's, let's actually start being prayerful for this next part because I, I want you to listen. Um, I want you to listen as as well as you can to the voice of God during this time. So I'm just going to kind of lead us in some reflection time right here, but I I, want to take, because I've got both of these apostles in my mind right now, both John and Matthew, and I just want to take each of their words, and I want you to listen to them and um, position and posture yourself to say, can I believe this is true for myself too? So let's go back to John. I want you to think of John... Who, when people asked, Who are you? John said, I am the one that Jesus loves. So now I want you, this is what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to just open yourself up. We're here in community, we're we're in the presence of God, We're, we're, we're trusting that God is moving right now. Can you say those words confidently for yourself? Can you say, I, by name, I am the one who is Jesus' beloved. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pay attention now. Does it feel easy to say that? Does it feel hard to say that? When those words come out, I, say your name, I am the one that is Jesus' beloved. Is there an, and this is, this is where it gets I think this is where the work is. This is where spiritual work is. Remember Jesus in John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, I've come to bring life abundantly. But there's a thief that tries to steal and kill and destroy that life. All right? so I, I can almost bet if you're like listening clearly that there's two voices at the same time. A voice from God that says, yes, you are the one who's my beloved. And for most of us, there's also a voice that says, hmm, I'm not so sure about that. You're not as smart as the other ones who are beloved. You don't act the way a beloved would act. You've done too many things to discredit you from being beloved. Thinking of somebody who's become close to me, who's lost both of their parents, and she's very young. She said these words that have been kind of haunting me. So She said, she said, what do you do when there's nobody to make you proud anymore? And I said these words, and they were not trite. It was from the deepest places. I said, until you can actually hear God say, I delight in you, until you can actually trust the voice of God saying, I take pleasure in you, this life will be lonely and haunting and difficult. So for her not having adults around anymore who can echo those words, your beloved, makes it so hard to trust God's words. What I'm trying to do here is to just create space for us to be honest about both, to position ourselves to hear the voice of God who calls us God's beloved, but then to also realize that there's forces at work that would do everything it could to discredit that voice of God in your life. Mm. I want to get a little Pentecostal right now. I want to rebuke those voices. God, as we sit here together, virtually, in person, sitting under these really simple words, and yet the most profound of all words, that the triune God, the creator God over the universe, the one who holds all things together, that same God looks at us and says, you are my beloved. That the triune God that's over everything doesn't just tolerate us, doesn't just forgive us because that's what that God has to, what you have to do, that you dance over us and that you sing songs of delight over. God, we all have, you, you warned us of us, you promised that in the same way Adam and Eve had to contend with evil, in the same way you in the desert and temptation had to contend with evil, in the same way you warned that abundant life is ours to experience but will be challenged by a thief that tries to kill it, but right now even, right now even as you're trying to speak these words in a way that goes deep, there are adversarial forces that are trying to undercut. To try to immediately add up, but what if, and what about, and really you think, and I don't know, and all the ways, the subtle ways. Boy, it'd be so much simpler if there's just some gross exorcist kind of monster that we could just say, oh, that's that, I no, it's not how it shows up, it's these little lies. We think of the incarnate you who sat under the blessing of God saying, you are my beloved. And then the devil showing up in the desert saying, if you're actually the son. Right? You weren't 40 days out of that and already evil was saying, are you sure that blessing was real? We're no different. We need the constant ministering of your spirit. Not only to remind us, which is of course most important, not only to anchor us, which of course is most important, but also to rebuke those lies that attempt to undercut what is most true about us. I believe this more 50 than I've ever believed that when somebody knows they are beloved by you, you can't stop somebody like that. Suffering when it comes, and it will come. Adversity when it comes, and it will come. Hardship when it comes, and it will come. It batters us, it bruises us, it, it throws us all around, and yet at the end of the day, we come back to, at the end of the day, The God of the universe created me, prepared me, set me apart, knows me, loves me, delights in me, dances over me. That will carry me through. I I believe more than I ever have that we're just not much good to each other. As much as important, as, as big of a thrust as it is in this passage, that indeed the disciples are sent out to confront evil and to heal sickness. And to be with those that society would say are untouchable. That's, of course, so such a huge part but I don't think Matthew's playing when he says first we must freely receive of this love because if we think we have to earn it and pay it off and be joyless Christians while doing it that's exactly what we're going to bring to other people so I'm not trying to pit these against each other it's a holistic thing but I so deeply so sincerely believe that this is indeed how we should start the day. In whatever way we do, whether it's on knees or whether it's looking up, we have got to get in tune with that voice that says, I see you. I know you. God, I long for... this. this is, we're not supposed to live our lives and then just kind of remember this sometimes. We're not ever meant to be separated from this. We should have no idea who we are outside of this. This isn't some occasional interaction we're supposed to have. This is the core. We walk in the world knowing that we are the ones that God loves. When I think of John, young John, saying, "'I'm the one that God loves.'" When he's old, John, he's saying the same thing. He says to this fifth or sixth or just seventh generation disciples, however many have come and gone, now that he's in his 90s, he says over and over, God is love. You are loved. I have nothing more profound I can share with you than that. This isn't a quick thing we acknowledge on the way to everything else. This is everything. God, in a way that I want to do very tenderly, and I know only so much of this healing can happen in a time of prayer, but we make space for the the ways others have hurt us, cause us to wonder if we can be loved. That's such a big part of all of our stories. There's so much joy in the way that people love us, in the way that reflects your love, but there's also so much pain thinking of a birthday conversation I had with a friend and they jokingly said no I don't ever celebrate my birthday I don't even want anybody to know how many of us say stuff like that we started talking about that and I had a sense where that comes from it usually comes from this because this, this when he was a kid he was never loved ne- nobody ever celebrated him so now now there's a self-protection I'm not going to take that chance that's not how you want us to live, God but it takes courage and it takes wisdom to find places to bring those wounded places into the light where we can genuinely grieve that there's damage, there's pain that has created, hard, it has created multiple barriers to being able to open ourselves to your love. And so God, I maybe just in a, in a small kind of a way, In this moment of prayer, we could just let those scared, hurt places out just a little bit in your presence. It really does take immense courage to take buried pain and allow it back out into the light a little bit. We lament the ways, we celebrate the ways birth parents or adopted parents have reflected your love in ways that have been transformational. That's so important to honor. But we lament and mourn the ways that so many in this body never got to know your love in a healthy kind of a way through the ones who were tasked with ushering us into that love. We know that we, 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 we inherently sense that the path of transformation is trusting that you as our divine mother, our divine father, are the one who loves us. But sometimes that short path can feel really long when we didn't get the chance to experience that in healthy ways. So God, we, I think this is one of the most immense acts of surrender we take is to bring all that hurt into your presence and to open ourselves up to the possibility that we might not feel your presence. We might not hear your voice when we do that. But I just don't know how we do this otherwise. It's the deepest longing in my spirit, God, that each person here would be able to walk around like John and I am the one that is God's beloved. That we would be able to walk around like Matthew and say, yeah, i got some stuff I'm called to do in the world, but that giving comes out of a place where I have received deeply of the love of God. I want to invite you to come receive in just a moment the uh, communion elements. I want you to just think of how the Apostle John, the one who was when he, young, when he was young, called himself God's beloved, as an older man at the very end of 1 John, this is how he talks about what we're about to do with the receiving of the gift. The Apostle John says, this is how you know true love, that God sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God is love and anyone born of God knows love. And so there are sometimes when we receive communion it feels a little bit heavy, you're thinking about the confession of sin, you're thinking about what it cost Jesus. I don't want this to feel like a heavy one today. I want this to be a tactile reminder from the triune God of God's love for us, of God's declaration of love over us. So if you will, we're going to we're going to continue in worship but If you would just go, we don't actually have people up here today, just as you're ready, if you would just come grab the elements. There's bread, there's a cup. The cup has got a gluten-free cracker for gluten-free. So just come on up and go back to your seat. We'll receive it together. But tables on each side, if you would at this point, come get the elements and we will receive these together as a reminder of God's love. I don't have these on the PowerPoint so I'm just reading. If you want to open your welcome to this is 1 John 4. I want you to reflect on a couple of phrases. This is this is the the same young guy who used to walk around saying, "Who am I? I'm the one that God's beloved." Now this is this is John's final words. I want you to just reflect on a couple of these phrases as we prepare to receive this gift of communion as a reminder. As simply and yet as profoundly as it could be said. John says this in 1 John 4:16. God is love. Okay, let's just start there. God is a lot of things, but more than anything, the central characteristic, God is love. And this is a profound thing, what John says, this is what he's telling this final generation before he dies, he says, whoever lives in love, lives in God. Whoever lives in love, lives in God, and God in them. So I, I hope you can I hope you can hear what this seasoned veteran of the saint is saying, that you're never closer to the presence of God than when you know of God's love and you are responding to God's love. Um, that is it. That's, that's heaven on earth. And he says, so therefore we rely on that love that God has for us. I want you to think of that word rely as you prepare to take it. This isn't something we every once in a while acknowledge Every once in a while, think about, every once in a while, give credence to. What does it mean to rely on something? I mean, that's actually a strong word. If you rely on something, that means that if you don't have it, you're in trouble, right? When you rely on something, like we rely on oxygen to breathe, right? We rely on food and water to live. When you rely on something, that means to not have it, you're in trouble. We rely on the love God has for us. And then this last part, it's famous, but I want you to think about this as the last part of, as we receive this gift of communion. From there, this is what John says, therefore, there is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. Perfect love, talking of the love of God, perfect love drives out fear. Now here's what I want you to think of. When he says there's no fear in love, that doesn't mean the starting point is that there's no fear. In fact, it's the opposite. When you come honest, you should be aware of a whole bunch of fear. Because there's voices saying, you don't belong. You're not loved. You're not worthy. This isn't for you. There's a whole bunch of things that bring anxiety and fear when we come to this. But John says, season. John says, the love of God drives out that fear. And listen to this, because fear has to do with punishment. This goes against how so many of us have come to understand God. But here's the bottom line what John says. John says it right here. If you fear punishment from God, then you don't know the love of God. You're, you're talking about a different God than the God of the Bible. If you feel you can't receive this gift, you're, you're praying to a God that's not the God of the Bible. If you fear punishment... You have not experienced the perfect love of God. So now, let us prepare to receive first of the bread. As Jesus sat with the disciples, with young John laying on his chest, a powerful image to think of receiving communion together, Jesus said, I'm breaking this bread as a symbol for the breaking of my body for you. So as we receive the bread right now, let us remember the God in the flesh who was broken for us so that we could be made whole. I want to read one more verse from John before we take this cup because I think this is just such a profound... This is verse 17, if you want to go back later. This is just so profound, but I think it has everything to do with communion. When talking about love, the Apostle John says this. He says, in this world, we are meant to be like Jesus. Now, I think a lot of us, when we hear that, we think we should emulate the actions of Jesus, right? Jesus loved people, we should love people. Jesus cared for the poor, we should care for the poor. That, I'm sure that's true, too. But first and foremost, do you know what it means to be like Jesus in this world? is to walk around with a deep and abiding sense that you are God's child. That you are God's beloved. That your God knows you and loves you and delights over you. Here's what the Apostle John took from the life of Jesus. He said, if you know love in this world, you should be like Jesus. Now here's where I connect that mystically to communion. When we receive this cup, we're remembering the blood spilled by Jesus for us, which means many things. Isaiah says, you know, by his stripes we are healed. There's many things. But here's, here's the other deep sim- symbolism for me. The blood of Jesus, this is so deep. The blood of Jesus runs inside of us. right? On the, in the Christmas story when we celebrate Jesus coming into the world, you get the long story of all the people whose blood was part of his bloodline. And the cross reminds us that we are now part of his bloodline. And I think this is meant to be a reminder of what God has done for us, but I think it's a reminder that this blood runs through supernaturally, spiritually. This blood runs through us in the same way physically we've got blood running through our body. You are meant to know you are loved in the same way Jesus knew. Do you actually believe that's what God wants for us? That's what John wanted for all these young disciples, that they would actually believe they're like Jesus. So as we prepare, Jesus said, the cup Represents the covenant I have made with my people, this covenant of love. So let's receive this gift, remembering the God who has brought us into God's covenant of love. You guys still got one more song? You need still? We still got another? Yeah. Let's let let let's finish in let's finish with the time of worship here. I'm just gonna stay up here. We'll, we'll sing a little bit. We'll we'll. Will. I do? I think yeah, there's, two, there's two things happening that I think are really important. I mean, you can worship alone. You can receive communion. But when we're together, it opens up something. It opens up something when we're together. And when we're singing, I think it opens up something, right? There's just something about allowing God to sing over us and to sing back. So let's stand together. Let's kind of finish off our time remembering, celebrating, living into the reality of a God who loves us, who calls us God's own,